Hi, everyone. Back at you with another episode of ESEC Lending Insights, where we keep it unscripted, real, and interesting. Unscripted, Peter? I would say that's definitely true, but interesting. Why don't we let our listeners decide on that one? What we are here to do, folks, is share with you our thoughts and perspectives on the securities lending industry, whether that be about demand trends or just what's going on in the industry. And now over to our episode. Let's go. Hi, friends. This is Brooke Gilman back with another ESEC Lending Insights podcast. And today is an exciting day, not only because it's Friday after a long week, but today I have a new co-host with me from ESEC Lending, which is Larry Alba, who heads up our global operations and middle office functions for our business. And Larry, it's your first time on the podcast with us. So I'm excited by this. Let's see at the end of it, if we're able to kick Peter and Jim out of the running on an ongoing basis. What do you think? I think that's a good goal. Appreciate you having me. Been a big fan of the podcasts thus far. So happy to be here. We have internal fans. That's even more exciting. That makes me feel good. <laughs> good. And Larry's with us today in part because the Isla Post Trade Conference is happening next week in London, and he'll be over for that event. It's their 12th annual post-trade conference, as well as their AGM. And in order to preview that event, we've invited back some guests today, some external friends from Pyram. We had Pyram on the podcast earlier in the month, right before the RMA conference, which went very well, and we previewed that event. And so we thought that it would be a nice opportunity to do the same for the Isla post-trade. And with that, we have two new voices from Pyram. We have both Rob Frost, who is the global product head for Pyram, as well as Scott Brown, who is in business development for PRM out of Europe. So Rob, Scott, welcome. How are you both? Hi, Brooke. Hi, Larry. Great to be here. Big fan of the podcast myself. So yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Hi, Brooke. Hey, Larry. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's exciting to be here. I think we've listened to the podcast avidly many times, more so with Bob and Tom V, as you say, before RMA. But yeah, excited to talk to you. Thank you. Definitely. Good. Well, we like that. So we only have a handful of listeners globally. I just want everyone to understand. And right now it sounds like, I know I listen because I have to before we release it, but otherwise so far we're making up four of our 10 listeners, it looks like. So we're capturing our audience well with this one. <laughs> we can give ourselves five-star ratings all around. Well, good. Well, thank you both for joining. And with that, we're obviously, I know that the industry is really looking forward to next week's ISLA post-trade conference. We'll probably release this on Monday, just in advance of that event. And so Rob, Scott, we thought what we could do today with Larry as well, providing his perspective and input is just to sort of walk through what we think some of the key themes might be for that event, what you at PRM are most focused on in conversations with your clients and counterparts as you service the market and provide various different technology solutions to help all of us operate more efficiently in the post-trade environment. So I thought maybe we could just kick it off by turning it over to the two of you, Rob and Scott, just to see what your thoughts are on the agenda and maybe we could walk through some of the main areas of focus. And Rob, I think you're even on one of the sessions too. So maybe we can dig into that one in a little bit more detail and give a preview on that. Yeah, thanks, Brooke. I think we first of all, I'd like to just say thanks to Andy, Serge and the team at Isla for putting on the event next week. We know it's the 12th anniversary of the event, which has yielded huge amounts of progress over the years. And I think it's one of the events that lots of people travel in for to see because it's got such a broad set of speakers and topics, which I think makes it an exciting event. Also crammed into one day, which ensures it's productive. So and the agenda, as you said, is full with lots of different topics that are all relevant to us at Pyram. And the reason I'm going first just to answer is because I know Rob's on the panel next week, so we'll have plenty of time to comment on many of these topics. But yeah, I think the agenda looks broad. I think there's lots of things in there that we would expect to see. 
And maybe if it's okay with you, Brooke, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the macroeconomic outlook as a first port of call. I know Rob and I have some views on this, but also we've had a lot of conversation with clients around the volatility in the markets, things that have happened, some of that being government influence, some of it being market-led. We found it interesting to see how our products can continue to support the various sort of market changes that appear. Rob, any additional thoughts? Yeah, I think you know, one of the great things about the Isla conferences and, and certainly from a post-trade perspective is getting everyone in the same room together. One of the things that we try to do at Pyram for our design partner groups and our working groups, because often hearing the same challenges your peers are having and, and coming up with solutions together can be hugely beneficial. So, you know, I'm hugely looking forward to the event and participating on a panel. Scott, you made the comment that you think PRM is well positioned given where the global macroeconomic outlook is. Some of the solutions that you're offering are relevant in this day and age with where the market conditions are. Yeah, I think PRM's products have always had a focus on scalability. So I think somewhat agnostic to market drivers, but the origin of the product set has been to get consistency, limit spikes in activity, and allow the the business to remain stable in uncertain periods, but also to allow the processes to kind of function as intended and highlight the exceptions in the area of focus. So I think we've seen obviously lots of volatility more broadly in the market, but an increase in rate changes due to some of the central bank actions and some of the indices that have changed or benchmark rates that have changed. And I think what interesting to me, so obviously, Brooke, you know, we do the Pyram Espresso on a daily basis that speaks about the SEC finance news as we kind of cover it and report on it. The Q3 results for a lot of the banks has been interesting for me because I think there's been a lot of positive news to come out of those results. But also you can see we see quite acutely a lot of contraction in some of our clients as to putting certain functions together, looking at how they use their financial resource in the most efficient way. And I think a lot of our products complement that mission to kind of give that level of functionality that allows firms to be thoughtful and resourceful with finite set of resources and then sort of draw focus to where there are issues that they need to focus on. So I think it's a weird thing to say that when there's volatility, I know a lot of banks make money out of volatility, but we also get a lot of satisfaction out of it in a slightly odd way because our services allow that volatility to be managed and we kind of give a lot of folks, like I said, to the exceptions rather than have the situation where teams are adversely impacted by the additional workload that that brings. Yeah, I mean, I would just add to that. I think both Scott and I have been practitioners ourselves in the post-trade space in, in middle and back office roles. We know at times of volatility and market stress, you know, it, it can be really challenging. And what gives me a lot of satisfaction in my role is seeing our clients using our products to help them with their day-to-day challenges. So that gives us a lot of satisfaction at Pyram. I think the challenges around the industry are that scalability, as Scott mentioned. I think you know, it's making sure that when there are times of high volatility, high volumes of transactions, be it recalls, rate changes, et cetera, that you've got the tools in place to cope with that. I think that's hugely important. And that's what we're seeing with our client base over the last 9, 12, 18 months. Larry, I know you're obviously a big user of not just PRM services, but many of the other automation solutions in the marketplace broadly. You're sort of in the seat that they're talking about, which is when the markets are more volatile, when we are seeing higher recall volumes, when we are seeing higher rate change volumes. Outside of our trading team, it's your group that sort of is ultimately making sure that all that flows properly in our program. Any thoughts that you have on the market more recently? Because I know I've spoken with you about it. I think we've also seen this ourselves. I think we've seen greater recall volumes. I think we've seen more direct impacts to market activity in the last, say, six months or maybe greater 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think it's frankly a comfort for me with the solutions that Pyram and others are providing. Certainly Pyram is the top echelon from my perspective, but it's a comfort to know that there's folks in the industry that are working on solutions independently in terms of not having to utilize my own resources for development. And they're doing it in a way where they're getting input from effectively everyone in the industry, you know, through their own efforts, through places like ISLA. So I think it's become a vital part of the whole ESEC lending ecosystem and not just a one-off vendor solution type scenario. Rob, so in your role as global product head for PRM, I know that you referenced earlier sort of the business user groups and receiving market input when you guys are either refining or developing new solutions. How much conflict do you often run into in terms of the different market constituent groups? How do you work through that? Or do you tend to see, because of where the market is today, I'm sure there's a lot of commonality and similar themes that market participants have in terms of where their pain points are and what sort of solutions that they would want. But how do you also see that conflict at times and what's the role that you all have in helping to resolve that? That's a great question, Brooke. And I think Larry actually alluded to it in terms of the centralizing and resourcing or utilizing the tech resources. So what we have to do is build the non-differentiated technology. So it's the technology that largely everyone needs. Of course, we cater for both sides of the transaction, lender, borrower, seller, buyer on a repo. But we build that non-differentiated technology to allow our clients to then use their valuable tech resources to build things that differentiate themselves in their own business models. Now, of course, there are always slight differences between different lenders, different borrowers. But I think that's where having that partnership, and we've had this with ESEC Lending for many years with Larry and his teams, whereby... We try and understand all of those requirements up front. We have a regular dialogue. We don't just lock ourselves away for a year building a product and then try to deliver it. It's that constant dialogue, constant iteration. So yeah, sometimes it can be challenging, but I think for the large part, it seems to work well. That's great. So maybe we can go back to the ISLA agenda for next week. And so I know one of the items, and Rob, you're speaking on one of the panels, I believe, the collateral and lifecycle management session. Maybe you can give us a preview in terms of what your thought process is in the collateral space, what PRM is seeing. Obviously, you sit as a tool between both the lender and the borrowers, but also the connectivity as well with TriParty. I think actually Bob Z. Krause used the analogy that he said he always used to use, you know, it's a bowl of spaghetti. I'm not, not really sure if you would talk about your position in the collateral space in terms of untangling that bowl of spaghetti and whether that's a fair analogy for this particular topic, but it'd be great to understand what you think the key themes are and go from there. Sure. I mean, I think it's this what we've been tackling for some time, right? I think there's interoperability. You mentioned the connectivity with the tri-party agents. We, again, standardize that process across all of the tri-party venues. I think intraday visibility is becoming more and more of a requirement for the industry and for our clients. And that's something that we can provide. And again, even just in some of the challenges, like with sanctions, for example, and some of the volatility in the market recently, clients that utilize our Collateral Connect service have been able to have a real-time view of where their collateral is all in one place on a real-time intraday basis, whether you're a collateral receiver or indeed a collateral provider. So that's proved hugely valuable and we've had some great feedback on that. I think the other thing I would say is lots of people, collateral is a hot topic, whether you're, again, a collateral receiver, collateral provider, There are different drivers, regulatory, whether you're on the provider side, LCR and SFR. On the receiver side, you've got, you know, CAS rules, usage rules that you need to adhere to. Obviously, you know, checking client collateral schedules, et cetera. So I think 
That's a huge challenge. But what I would say is what we've tried to do is to connect the front and back office or the risk teams in the back office with the post-trade services. So where you can reuse connectivity, data mapping, data feeds, rather than building everything in a silo, you can achieve a huge amount of efficiency. So just to give you a practical example on that, all of the data and the mappings that feed from our RQV post-trade service into Collateral Connect, obviously, sorry, all of the mapping is reused. So effectively what the front office or the business managers or the risk team see is all of that accurate mapping from the trade to the collateral to the tri-party agent. So that's hugely important rather than trying to build something in a vacuum as well. So Larry, I know that we just recently actually went live with the product that I believe Rob is referencing. Maybe you can just give the perspective from a user vantage point. Why that intraday transparency into sort of the tri-party data? Why that additional functionality? Obviously, we had visibility into tri-party data previously directly from the tri-party agents themselves. But talk to me about why that system functionality is a benefit and what maybe that's allowing us to do better or differently in terms of our both operations or compliant risk oversight. Yeah, I think Collateral Connect has really put us a miles ahead position from where we were in the past. As you mentioned, we are getting more historically have gotten just very basic updates from the tri-party agents, basic reporting, some level of compliance reporting, but pretty generic and plain information, I guess I would call it, where the tool that Parham developed that we have adopted is really gives us analytical capability and real-time views into what collateral is being posted and ways that we can look at that collateral in different ways, whether it's we want to look at it from a risk perspective, purely from a compliance perspective, you know, that the RQV is being satisfied. It will be a useful tool as we morph into the space of additional regulatory requirements. It really just gives us a more hands-on view than what we've been able to have in the past. And it's a great user-friendly format. You know, we're not downloading files and bumping them up against other files. It's a really slick click on this box and it drills down and, and gives you what you want. So it's been a great benefit, you know, not only for our compliance department, but for our operations folks, just in terms of researching breaks and having things available to you in real time, right on the screen in front of you. Right. And I know that from the client perspective, which is the seat that I occupy, I know that as well, it allows us to do the work that much faster to identify issues earlier, sooner, so that they can be brought to resolution sooner as well. And and that ultimately is really helpful from an overall management of each client program. So that's great. So Rob, what do you see as, you know, I think one of the next big things that we have coming up is the whole move to T plus one in the U.S., So what are you hearing from others in the industry in terms of what their needs are vis-a-vis Pyram? Is it simply a a recall play and they're looking for more efficient tools to do recalls or are there other things that folks are asking for? So recall is definitely a big part of it, Larry. You know, all the industry association working groups, there's been a big focus on recalls, particularly around the time from a lender perspective, right? Notifying the borrower. So that's a big angle for us, something that we're working on right now. But I think, again, just looking at recalls in isolation probably isn't satisfactory because, as you know, we're also tying that into the automated return service or callback service that we have as well. So I think, again, to my point earlier, you can't just look at things in silos. So, yes, recalls is a hot topic, but actually conversations we're having with our clients is how do we then tie that into everything else? And in particular, the return service to, again, make sure that that whole process is as automated as possible so that recalls can be satisfied on time. But then more crucially, when they're not or there is a challenge that the tools are there 
the communication channels are there and that the process again is standardized and somewhat centralized to manage those exceptions on, on a real-time basis so i think it's a huge challenge it's a huge concern but you know i think technology is there to help with these challenges and not saying it's not a challenge for the whole industry but i think it's one that can definitely be overcome with technology it's funny you say that. Yesterday, I was looking at a draft agenda for another upcoming industry conference event a handful of months out. And I was thinking to myself, there was a long list of tons of sessions, right? And there was one focused on technology and technology solutions. And then there was another session focused on innovation and the industry's need to innovate and ability to innovate. And I was having a conversation with my colleague, Peter Basler, who's often on this podcast. And the conversation we had was really in our view at where we are today, that really those two topics almost should be merged into one was sort of the thought we had because yes, there's always ability to innovate and there's new and different types of trade structures. There's new way of thinking about who your counterparty is and thinking about maybe non-traditional counterparts in the market. There's new ways of addressing all of the binding constraints in the market around capital and such, but so much is always now heavily dependent on technology. And so to truly innovate in this market and just sort of bring the market forward, having technology solutions in place probably are really, I guess, a key requirement for the industry to keep innovating. Absolutely. And I think also I would just go one step further in saying that there's technology there to solve the challenges that are there today. There's obviously a, a big, big focus and rightly so on DLT and tokenization, et cetera. And yes, they will have a part to play. But I think looking at technology solutions now is just as important because there are real problems to be solved now. And the way we approach our technology at the moment is it's built to solve the challenges that are there now for our clients and the industry. But we've absolutely got an eye on, okay, how will we adapt those into the future? Are they an enabler for a DLT solution, for example? So I think that's important for everyone to think about when they're looking at their t- technology stack and their technology roadmap as well. Yeah, Brooke, if I can add, I think, I think it's important as well to consider, maybe linked to the collateral lifecycle part. I think when we look to collateral connect, and this is true, maybe it's easy for me to say from my seat than Rob, because he's responsible for most things we've built, but a lot of the Pyram products, they go together in a kind of modular fashion. So whilst we build technology to solve today's problems, we've always got one eye on future and also looking at if we launch a solution that solves an immediate problem, how does it pivot to a future requirement? And I think with Collateral Connect, we've particularly spoken to clients to get input on their challenges, whether that be reg drivers, financial drivers, et cetera, but then left an element of it to be customizable because I think to your point you were making earlier, firms have different requirements based on jurisdiction or business model. So we want to solve for the similarities, but also solve for the more bespoke elements to it as well. So I think we're always looking to build solutions that solve problems today, but have a way of evolving and complementing what happens in the future as well. That's interesting. I attended RMA earlier this month, and I think one of the comments that in advance of that, when we were podcasting with Bob Z. Krause, he was talking about all the different vendor solutions out there. And it's almost like a full-time job in my view these days, just to keep up with the new vendors in this marketplace and the solutions that they're bringing forward to solve for both current day problems and future growth opportunities. 
but the word interoperability comes up a lot. You guys use it a lot. I know other technology vendors do as well. How much today are you finding yourselves working alongside other technology or vendor data type driven products and companies versus maybe if you looked back five, 10 years, 15 years ago, do you sort of see that? Because I'm going to parallel it quickly. Our position as an agent lender in the market today, and we're sort of a unique agent in that we don't have many of the same regulatory and capital constraints and those binding constraints that many of the large bank agents do in the market. And so we have found today that we are starting to have a lot of business discussions, trade opportunity discussions, partnership-like mindset with different companies than we would have ever imagined having those conversations with 5, 10, 15 years in the past. So the market's evolving. We're starting to do business with new and different people. Are you finding the same from your vendor perspective that you're also doing business with organizations that you might not have guessed that you would be in an earlier version of your company? Yeah, definitely, Brooke. I think there's probably literally an A to Z now of vendors that kind of operate in or around our space. From my seat, I get asked about it a lot. Have you heard of, you know, vendor X, Y, Z and what uh-huh. they do? And whilst we are absolutely open and I know Rob and Todd Crowther particularly spend a lot of their time pursuing collaborative opportunities, I think we often advocate vendor oversight is quite an arduous task. So actually, the less vendors you can have, the better because you get more leverage on more buying power more ability to influence the roadmap, et cetera. So we do advocate trying to see where we can solve problems in the first instance, but yeah, where it makes sense for us to collaborate with another vendor, whether that be for a strategic goal of our own or one for our client, then yeah, I think it's becoming almost a kind of rolling agenda point for most weeks that we are in the office, right, Rob? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, we've proven over the years, we're completely open to connecting to, to other vendors or market infrastructure providers. I mean, we've got a lot of press releases that have gone out over the last couple of years on that. You know, recent collaboration with BNY Menon on Collateral. And again, I think everything that we do really is for the benefit of our clients, whether that's building a new product in partnership or collaborating or or connecting. Again, it has to make sense for the client. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense for us. So if it benefits the industry and it benefits our clients and and obviously it benefits us, then we would definitely look to do it. And yeah, there are a lot of vendors out there doing different things, which is great to see whether they're automating, you know, KYC or onboarding documentation or looking in the collateral space. I think, you know, technology, to my point previously, is good for the industry. It solves a lot of problems. But to Scott's point, I think vendor selection really is critical because it can take time to onboard. It can take time to go through the vendor due diligence, etc. So I think that's where we've tried to leverage our connectivity and data to build out newer products on the data sets we have, collateral connectors we mentioned, and various others, trade risk manager we launched for CSDR, et cetera. So I think leveraging that brings benefit to our clients and the wider industry as well. Larry, I'm sure you have a strong view on this as well. I have to imagine you agree with a lot of what they said though, but what's your perspective? I mean, you sit in the seat where you're constantly evaluating a lot of these different technology solutions and what would be applicable to our business. I'm sure we have a lot of needs, but you know, the reality of doing everything they just said and making a selection on a new product onboarding it into our environment, testing the oversight of that. There's a lot there. There is a lot there. That's my principal thought on that. The <laughs> vendor oversight has become almost a full-time job, both because in our particular case, we have many vendors, as I'm sure most agents do. You'd be probably shocked if I actually came up with a number of independent vendors that we had for such a variety of reasons. What's your best you guess? Know, uh, I think we have about 75 
Okay. I would have guessed below. So yeah, I am. Yeah, when you include the telephone people and all the different <laughs> software that we have, right. and we just recently adopted a new system to help us with oversight. To manage, of, of yeah, vendors, to manage vendor right. oversight, right. But no, but in terms of making strategic decisions on what vendor to go to, I agree with what Rob and Scott are saying is that everything does have to be able to play well together, right? You can't build a one-off solution because it just won't be marketable. So being flexible and understanding what the other players in the industry are doing and obviously trying to stay on top of them is vitally important. And it makes for a challenge, right? There's a lot of alternatives out there and there's a lot of people that are doing interesting things. And so being able to make the decision on whether that interesting thing is ultimately going to be the most cost-effective, it's going to provide the best outcome can be a challenge. But having said that, it's nice having the options and it's nice having the comfort knowing that there's all these very frankly talented folks out there that are looking at these things ahead of what we would need to look at. This has been great. And again, Rob, Scott, thank you. But I think maybe what we can do to kind of wrap it up is give me themes or areas that you think you will, either your firm or yourselves personally, will spend the most time focused on, let's say in the next 18 months. And Larry, I want to ask the same question of you also. Our objective is to automate all of the manual processes in the post-trade space, right? So I think from our perspective, voluntary corporate actions is a big thing that we're working on next. Recalls, as, as Larry touched upon, not just for T plus one, but for globally, it's going to be a global solution for all markets, not just for the US and Canada markets. And then I think the third one for us is repo as well. That's another big growth area. And then the more time that I spend in the repo conversations with our clients, that's highly manual and needs a lot of automation. So they're probably the big three things alongside extending all what we're doing on collateral, etc. So that from a product perspective, that's my main areas of focus. We'll ask Scott the same question. What are some other items that you're spending a lot of times in conversations with your clients and kind of prospective users? So I, I think uh, collateral for me, I mean, collateral conversations dominate a large part of my time in the sales seat. And I think maybe just to kind of reference it back to what Bob and Tom V were saying, we've made a deliberate effort to offer our products to a global client base. And so I think the collateral story that we've been developing in Europe, we're now taking to the Americas and trying to give value and optionality to the US parts of our global clients or indeed the regional clients as well. So I think that's a slightly different answer to the question you were posing, Brooke, but I think that's the focus for me. And then maybe linked to Pyram's endeavors in supporting the market in different areas. I think CCP or clearing for sec lending is becoming topical again. I know Israel are going to talk about it next week. So I think that whilst that might not be an area of immediate focus for me, I think it's definitely an area of interest for me because I think maybe the timing's right now for that to become more of a topic of conversation across the market. So, yeah. Okay, good. Thank you both. And Larry, what's your view? And does that, so and how much of it matches those, up? <laughs> it absolutely matches up. In addition to those, I would also add client onboarding, which okay. I believe is a topic at Isla next week. So very curious to get some perspective on that. But I think that's an important effort in the industry that needs some attention. And then my aspirational one is hoping someone can develop an effective corporate action system that synthesizes all the various data sources related to the corporate action lifecycle and gets it into an automated agreed upon platform. That's my goal in life at this moment. I feel like you just described what Rob, you know, Rob, if you didn't take notes, you should take notes on that if that's not already on your radar. <laughs> I think Harry and I will be speaking some more, but I said that's a thing. Right, good, <laughs> good. 
All right. Well, good. Well, thank you all for joining. I'm sorry that I won't be with you next week. I've been traveling way too much, so I'm going to stay put and I'll look forward to hearing how the conference goes and hope to have you all back on the podcast again soon. And in the meantime, if you have constructive feedback on the podcast ever, don't hesitate to pass it along. But thank you, Scott. Thank you, Rob. Really appreciate you both joining. And Larry, thanks for joining me today as host. Yeah. Thanks everyone. Look forward to catching up with you guys next week. Likewise, thanks. Thanks, 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 Brooke. Brooke. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope we left you with something interesting and productive to utilize in your daily securities lending activities. And friends, don't forget to subscribe to ESEC Lending Insights wherever you get your podcasts. And now for our disclaimer. This material is for your private information and does not constitute legal tax or investment advice. There is no representation or warranty as to the current accuracy of nor liability for decisions based upon such information. Thank you for listening.